When Father Jason and I were talking about my filling in while he was on vacation this summer, he uh, said to me, uh, now, you know, Mark has a, a license to preach and feel free to avail yourself of the opportunity to have him speak one of the Sundays that, uh, that I, Father Jason, am away. And this seemed to be a particularly good one uh, for me not to have to prepare a sermon. And I appreciate the fact that Mark was willing to do the sermon, so he will be our preacher today. Good morning. Good morning. Ron kind of stole some of my thunder. Uh, oh, dear. <laughs> well, I'd once asked a very wise man what were the best words with which to begin a sermon. And he said, please sit down. <laughs> May the words I present ring in the hearts of those present and guide them to the truth that is Jesus. Amen. Now, the readings every Sunday generally come from those suggested by the Revised Common Lectionary, the RCL. I say generally because sometimes we pull the readings for a particular saint's day and we use them instead. There is a method to the madness that is the RCL. Ideally, every three years... If you attend church religiously and do the daily readings, you will hear almost the entire Bible read, preached, expounded upon, and celebrated by the priest. Almost, because they have excised some of the juicy and salacious or politically incorrect parts. As I read through the readings suggested by the RCL, I always look for a common thread. This is the key word, tone, or theme that colors each reading. Sometimes it's there. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it pops right up at you. Sometimes it's obscured. Sometimes it just ain't there. Today it might have been there, but I'm a bit thick and didn't see a unifying thread. But regardless of finding a unifying thread, I came away from today's readings with three questions. You might say a thread from each reading. From the Old Testament reading, what is obedience? From the epistle, what is faith? And from the gospel reading, where is your treasure? Now, what does it mean to be obedient to God? Isaiah seems to be questioning where commands to do certain things come from. It is from God, or is it from man? What it means to obey God's will seems to have changed as mankind has changed. Today, with Isaiah's reading, God says, I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. What? The whole temple system was based on these sacrifices. There was a whole industry based on the selling of sacrificial animals and distribution of the sacrificial flesh of these animals. Now, according to Isaiah, God says, bringing offerings is futile. Incense is an abomination. Well, there's a lot here that will agree with that, but... Whoa, how did they get this wrong? Well, we did not get it wrong. It had been building up to this point for a long time. At one time, it was good to offer sacrifice. God instructed the people to leave the edges of their fields unharvested so the poor could glean some sustenance. Likewise, God wanted the wealthy to sacrifice some of their herds and flocks to the common good. So according to Isaiah... God no longer delights in the ritual sacrifices of animals and cannot endure solemn assemblies. Isaiah says, God wants us to cease to do evil, 
learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. If you are willing and obedient, you shall reap the good of the land. Your sins are no longer washed away by sacrifices. God has other plans, plans to address the state of the world as it has become, not as it was. God wants your obedience to his will. Disobedience will not be tolerated. What is faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith can move mountains. Hebrews 11 pulsates with the rhythmic heartbeat of by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Can you hear the heartbeat? Faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, he stayed in the land. By faith, he received the power of procreation. So let me ask you, does obedience have a part in faith? Of course it does. Faith is the obedience to God's will. What does God ask of you? What do you need to do to be obedient to his word? Faith does not mean that you will get. Faith is believing that your people will get. Faith is obedient to God's will. What is your treasure? Let me ask you, what is your treasure? Do you keep your treasure in a moth-eaten purse that will soon wear out? Luke says to make a purse that will hold the unfailing treasures of heaven, where no thief can come near or no moth destroy. I don't think that he's talking about a Gucci handbag here. If you, if you treasure something that you store up for later, is your treasure something tangible that you will hold, that you will need to build newer and bigger barns to hold the wealth? Or is your treasure the faith and the love of Christ that is stored in your heart? Well, enough of the lectionary readings. The threads of the lectionary start to weave a pattern. As new threads are added each week, new comprehension begins to unfold. In order to see the cloth that is being woven, you need to step back a bit. You need to have heard the entire message of the Bible before you can comprehend what God wants. A few snippets or threads won't do. I came away from today's readings with three main questions. Each question engendered several of their own questions. As we read the Bible, it seems that each book leaves us with more and more questions, and we eventually find as many questions as there are stars in the heavens. We need to read, study, and inwardly digest the writings in the Bible in order to count these stars and to begin to understand what God wants. I'm going to shift gears here for a second. We live in an age of instant information. Just ask Siri, and she tells you what the water temperature is in Ocean City at 14th Street at this exact minute. But we also live in an age of disinformation. Someone posted this phrase recently. I view Jesus the way I view Elvis. I love the guy, but a lot of his fan clubs scare me. I read this earlier this week, and it kind of plucked a chord. Sadly, the church in the 21st century is viewed by many as a sort of Jesus fan club, filled with fanatics who have little else to do but collect relics and listen to like-minded people expound on how great their idol is. I have to ask you, 
If we hold up the mirror of truth, is that how we would see ourselves? A better question might be, do we actually present ourselves as nothing more than a fanatical fan club that meets every Sunday? This is not our intent, but is it our, is it our outcome? We try not to be insular, but do we succeed? What does, when does worship slide over into idolatry? Praying with or praying to. There were patriarchs that banned the use of icons. The thought was that it was a graven image and was prohibited by the Ten Commandments. Is it something that you use to enhance worship, or is it something you idolize? Congregations worship, cults idolize. I've been participating recently in the Bible study on half-truths, things the Bible doesn't really say. A bunch of you are familiar with the study, so I'm not going to go into too much detail. But as we go through the program, we are presented with ideas that seem to be biblical. We all know God helps those who help themselves, right? No. It really doesn't say that in the Bible. What about everything happens for a reason? Or God won't give you more than you can handle. How about God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And finally, love the sin, hate the sinner. Oops, spoonerism. Uh, love the sinner, hate the sin. Those things are not really biblical. There are some biblical truths behind the phrases, but in a lot of instances, they are taken out of context. They are half-truths. Sometimes we might read, sometimes what we read might not actually be God's word. C.S. Lewis writes, It is Christ himself, not the Bible, who is the true word of God. The Bible, read in the right spirit and with the guidance of good teachers, will bring us to him. We must not use the Bible as a sort of encyclopedia out of which texts can be taken for use as weapons. The Bible is a collection of writings which has a distinctive flavor and focus. There are bits of history and bits of fiction and bits of poetry and bits of prose. But when viewed together, they present a cohesive picture of what God expects of us. It does no good to memorize the fr this phrase or that phrase saying, well, the Bible says thus and so, in order to prove your point. That mindset just might show your arrogance and ignorance. I've read the Bible a number of times in a number of translations in several languages, and I just cannot find where in the Bible Jesus teaches us to hate those different from us. Yes, if I look, I can pull out words of hate from the Bible, but there would be no truth in those words. Jesus told us that we didn't need to do anything other than love God and to love your neighbor and treat them as you would like to be treated. I feel like I should have a bit of visual aid to project on the wall at this point. Since I don't, I'm going to need you to use your imaginations. Now, I assume you've all seen the pictures that are made up of thousands of little photographs. Each pixel is replaced with a photograph that re represents the hue of the pixel. They take, say, 800,000 photos, combine them by color and hue to form a portrait. And do you get the, the picture? Do you know? Okay. Now imagine we're really close to that picture and can only see one of the pixels. How would you describe the picture based on what you now see? 
depending on where you look, it could be a portrait of someone or a pastoral scene or an animal. It could be the gray of an Ansel Adams photo or the blue of a Van Gogh painting or the gold of a picture of an Arabic minaret. But if you step back, you begin to see something different. When you step back and take in the whole 800,000 pixels, you find that you're looking at a portrait. This is what the Bible does. If you look at any one part of the Bible, you will see only a piece of the whole. What you see is important and enlightening and necessary to the picture, but it is not the picture. Each word of the Bible is like a pixel. Now, there was a certain cartoon circulating recently. It showed a man returning a Scrabble set and complaining to the salesperson. He couldn't believe the vile and despicable words that were in this box of letters. You can find words to prove any point in the words of the Bible. Just take a phrase out of the book, in that book, and disrespect the context, and voila, point proved. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Only God didn't say it. You constructed it out of the words you found scattered in the book. It's not the word. The word is not a phrase, paragraph, or sentence. The word is was and will forever be the word that needs 783, 137 words to paint the picture, the picture of Jesus Christ. 783, 137 words in the Christian Bible. You need all of them. So I ask you to think a little. What is the Bible to you? Some say the inspired word of God, but that might be a half-truth. I believe that the Bible is in the inspired Word of God, but I believe that it would be more accurate to say, God inspired the Word, and as I read, study, and wrestle with it, I begin to understand, and as I interpret it in the light of Jesus Christ, I hear God speaking through it and seek to live its Word as best I can. What does God ask of you? Trust, faith, obedience. What does Jesus ask of you? Trust the Lord. Have faith in the holy name. Be obedient to the commandments. Basically, love one another. Who is Jesus to you? A superstar, a prophet, a savior? Step back and look at the whole picture. You just might start to see the God-inspired picture of Jesus staring back at you.